The subject we're going to look at is entitled What Are Elders? This follows on from we were looking at the Word of God. Uh, we were looking at grasping the goodness of the Word of God. We were then looking at uh, the proclamation of the Gospel and the various words that we use for that. And we sort of move now to the ministries within the church and looking at this subject, what are elders? So let's pray. Lord, we ask that you've promised that as we meditate in your word, we will be like trees planted by streams of water, um, bearing fruit in due season and their leaf not withering. And we pray that we may be able to meditate sweetly upon your word, that there may be sustenance and encouragement and beauty that we see. So we ask you, Lord, to be our teacher, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What are elders plural? Well, let's... Let's lay a couple of foundations thinking of the New Testament and about words. The word elders, presbytery, assuming my Greek is any sort of, the pronunciation is anything like. Uh, elder in New Testament Greek means, it just mean, it, it means older man. Uh, it means more than that, but it's basically an idea of being older or more experienced or wiser, hence uh, a wider use of it. Um, the Greek word, I'm pronouncing presbytery, is the word in English that we get presbyter, and therefore Presbyterian, which is a sort of church uh, denomination grouping that has presbyters. So, Tim Keller's church be Presbyterian? Yeah. It means more than that they have presbyters. It means they link in a certain way. But anyway, that's where the, the uh, word comes from. There's another word, uh, overseer, episcopy. And that word is made up of two components, the epi being over and the scopi being to watch or to see, hence overseers, episcopi. It's a little bit like bishop, because it's got a, an I and an S. Now, there's not much else going on there, is there? Uh, perhaps a P is a bit like a B. Uh, and in the days of the King James Version, episcopi, was translated bishop. So when I went to speak at the Chapel Royal some years ago, the Anglican, the dear Anglican man who was leading, Mark Redhouse, uh, introduced me as the Bishop of Brighton. Uh, and, <laughs> and he thought he was joking. You see, I said, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the Episcopi. I'm not the only Bishop in Brighton, but I am one of them. And so a third word, and I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this, pimenes, uh, shepherds. Uh, it's just the regular word for shepherds. So when there were shepherds in the field, it's this word, shepherds, used 17 times. There's a verb that goes with it, to shepherd. Uh, so whatever shepherds do, to tend sheep, to feed sheep, that's the meaning of the verb. I've got a few examples of their use. Perhaps we'll look at those in a moment. But my, my, uh, what I'm going to put as a foundation is that these three words, when they're used in terms of church leadership, are interchangeable. And I thought of putting virtually interchangeable. But no, I think they are just interchangeable. I don't think there's any significant difference between elders, overseers, and shepherds. I think they're three ways of saying the same thing. 
so shall we look at a couple of references so 1 Timothy 3 2 is episcopy 1 Timothy 3 2 1 Timothy 3 is about church officers, people who have a designated role in the church in this sense. And 1 Timothy 3, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an episcopi, or episcopos, which would be the singular, uh, he desires a noble task. Now the episcopos the bishop, the overseer, whatever, must be, and then he gives quite a long list of moral character references that the episcopos must be. I don't think he's saying if somebody is these things they must necessarily be an episcopos, but I think he's saying if they're not this they definitely shouldn't be an episcopos. So there's an example of episkopos, NIV says overseer. Has anybody got a different translation? Anybody got bishop? Have you really? What, what translation have you got? Okay, so that's stuck to the politically skewed translation, which the, 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 cause it's the, the King James wanted his Bible to represent the interests of the established church and the established church did not have overseers it had bishops so that's, the, that's part of the reason why it says bishop there sorry it's not a personal not a personal attack it's just I'm just <laughs> um, uh, so there's episcopy and Ephesians 4.11 is one of the fairly rare uses of shepherd as a noun, Ephesians 4, is that right? I think, what did I put, 4.11, 4.11, yeah, 4.11. Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, that's the word shepherds, and teachers. So they're, they're sort of linked together to be pastors, to be shepherds and teachers. So that is the use of shepherds there. I'll, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll light on a, a, a passage that does show that they're interchangeable. I haven't demonstrated that. I've just pulled it as a rabbit from a hat. So there are, there are the words that we're thinking about. Now, my, the original question was, what are elders, plural? Here's a related question. What about the elder or the overseer or the shepherd, singular? Okay, now that's an easy question to answer because if you look in the New Testament for the episcopos or the, whatever, whatever the singular of Pimenes is, uh, the shepherd, I can give you a very clear answer to who this person is. And uh, 1 Peter 2.25 describes him. One Peter chapter two verse 25 1 Peter 2:25 re, uh, re Ray could you read us that please 1 Peter 2:25 is yeah, no it's fine whatever you got it in read it in yeah thank you you were like sheep going astray sorry what did you what we got Bishop, yes, the AV has bishop. The authorised version, the King James Version, says you have now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls, singular. So this is the person that you've returned to. Does it really? Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, so the question is, who is this person? Who is this shepherd? 
It is, isn't it? It's Jesus. It's because it, 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 it goes on, it, it, it has already said, uh, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to this person, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is the overseer. He is the shepherd. Let's look at Hebrews 13 verse 20 Hebrews 13 verse 20 Shall we take 20 and 21 Hebrews 13 20 and 21 Rachel what have you got for us in those verses So here is the shepherd, is the great shepherd, and who is the great shepherd? Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus, isn't it? The, uh, the, the one who is brought back from the dead. He is the great shepherd. And we could add to that John 10, verses 11 to 18. John 10, 11 to 18. This is Jesus himself speaking. Bearing in mind that Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. This is Jesus um, sort of putting himself into that space marked the shepherd. John 10, verse 11. I, says Jesus, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, says Jesus, am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Uh, so Jesus, in a very full way, saying that he is the shepherd. Uh, he is the one shepherd of his people. And in particular, uh, he cares for his flock. He defends his flock. So much so that he lays down his life for the sheep. And he also talks about his, uh, he's bringing them together. He talks about the way that he knows them. He talks about the way that they know him. He talks about the way that he speaks to them and they listen to his voice uh, and all those wonderful things. So if we had asked about the shepherd, we would really, to answer that question properly, we should be pointed to Jesus Christ. And I want to, every, anything that's said about human shepherds ought to fall into this, under this context that the shepherd is Jesus. So we would like to make a distinction between his shepherding role and whatever human shepherds might be. So he is the true provider for his people. He's the one who leads his people uh, by, into green pastures. Uh, he is the guide of his people. Uh, he's the one who leads them. He is the sacrifice. He's the one who laid down his life for the sheep. No one else has done that. He is the healer of his sheep. It's his fingers uh, that, and his touch that heals the people of God. He's the protector. He's the one with the rod and staff to protect the people of God. 
He is the host, uh, well, that's slightly changing the metaphor, but in Psalm 23, he spreads the table, uh, and only he does that. Uh, he's the, the feeder, the one who feeds his sheep. He's the heart knower. He knows the hearts of his people. He knows his sheep. Uh, and uh, he is the voice to be heard. Uh, uh, my sheep listen to my voice, says Jesus. And he's the great lover. Uh, he's the only one who loved his people so as to die for them and redeem them. And that's Jesus. And we don't want anything or anybody to get in the point that they obscure that fact. Uh, and we don't want to expect of any human being that that person should replace Jesus. I think that's a very important factor as well. So he is, by way of distinction, he's those things. But by way of example, uh, he exemplifies what human shepherds, uh, what might be expected of them. Not that they're the provider, but, but through them the Lord makes provision. Not that their voice is the one to be heard above all others, but through their advice, the voice of the Lord Jesus could be heard. Uh, human shepherds don't make the one eternal sacrifice, but their service is sacrificial. Uh, human shepherds don't have the healing touch that Jesus has but through them uh, the Lord is pleased to bring healing uh, they are not the ones who have the spiritual power uh, the spiritual rod and staff as it were but through them uh, the Lord gives protection uh, and the instruments that the human shepherds use is very much the word of God which I hope we'll see something of as we go through and the human shepherds you can't say to the human shepherds lover of my soul let me to thy bosom fly but the human shepherds are meant to exemplify something of the love of Jesus for the people of God and so uh, it seems to me that the human shepherds which we're going to look at as we go on are to be appreciated and respected, uh, hopefully, but not idolized. And I just put that as a, a warning, a caveat. It's not entirely unknown for human shepherds to become idolized and what they say to become, as it were, the word of God. And that's to get things out of kilter. So, it, you know, just to give an example, it's not not unknown for people to say you know, the doctor said something and when they say the doctor they, they can only mean one person which is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who was a very famous and very blessed Welsh preacher but I'm sure the doctor would be the first person to say don't put me in the place of Jesus I'm not the saviour of the church I'm one of the, one of the uh, servants of the shepherd okay does that make sense now I'll show you an interesting well it might, might not be that interesting I think it's a reasonably interesting uh, slide here so this is Psalm 23 with some bullet points from that the Lord is my shepherd he provides everything I need he provides me with rest and enjoyment and sustenance he gives inward spiritual healing and personal moral guidance and complete protection from all evil and here's John chapter 10, uh, where uh, that following on from that is the discussion that Jesus has about himself being the good shepherd. He calls effectively to his sheep. They move from darkness to light. He leads his sheep. Verse 3, the, uh, the sheep listen to his voice. He le calls his sheep by name and leads them out. So the, the uh, eastern shepherd would lead his sheep you know the story about the visitor to um, the Middle East who saw a load of sheep with a, uh, a chap behind pushing them on driving them and he said to the guide I thought it said in the Bible that the shepherd leads the sheep 
and the guide said, oh, you're quite correct. In, in, the, in the Middle East, uh, the shepherd always goes ahead of the sheep and leads them. The guy you saw was the butcher. He was taking them on the way to slaughter. Uh, John chapter 10, Jesus, the good shepherd, sacrifices his own life, knows his sheep to the depths. They truly know him. And in verse 16, he brings other sheep as well. Now, the reason that might or not might or might not be interesting is that that's the slide I used. Uh, it was earlier than 2005. It might have been 1980-something because I looked back in my file to see last time I'd written anything down about shepherding. And I found this in my file. And I think it's, I think it's from about 20 years ago. And I think it's still okay, actually. I think that's right. What did I put at the bottom? Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Elders are shepherds. They are also sheep. That's an interesting point to make. Jesus is the lamb of God. But uh, there is a distinction, isn't there, that uh, shepherds in the church are themselves sheep. They need the shepherding of Jesus. And somebody, I think it was Barbara. Do you remember Barbara Doust? So I am going back quite a long way, aren't I? I she said to me, and I've written it down somewhere, uh, the best shepherds, the best under-shepherds lead us to the great shepherd. And that seems like wisdom to me. So I am going back quite a long way, because that's, Barbara was here in the 70s and 80s, wasn't she? The best under-shepherds lead us to the great shepherd. So they, they point to Jesus and they are but the means. So I thought I'd see whether I'd written anything else down from those days and I had. And I looked it through and I think I, I, think I agree with pretty much what it's saying. So here are, here are four bullet points about human shepherds. Let's look in Acts chapter 20. I notice, I'm just going to follow through what I wrote all those 20 years ago. I think I could have improved on the order, but anyway, here we go. It, let's look at Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 13... No, in verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he's on, he's on his way, I think he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's quite keen to be quick, but he does want to meet these guys and he arranges, presumably he sent them a text. How else could you arrange things like this? But he presumably must have sent them a text and he says, I would like to meet you at such and such a place. I'm short of time, I can't deviate all the way, but we'll meet together. And it is, you see, the elders, plural, of the church in Ephesus. And then he gives them this wonderful and actually very moving speech about their work. And in verse 36, it says, when he had said this, he knelt down with them with all of them and they prayed and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him and what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship and I just imagine this uh, group of people uh, really weeping as they say goodbye to Paul and the thing that upsets them is they'll never see this chap again so they, he would have sung the same song that you sang this morning about meet you on the judgment day or something like that but it, yeah it, it, that's church life includes saying goodbye to people doesn't it so Acts 20 and one of the key verses here is verse 28 in which Paul says to who's he speaking to just remind me again the elders the elders the presbytery of the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to the elders and he says this, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then he goes on about protecting the flock. Let's hear that. Has anybody got a, a, a version that has some different vocabulary and then that? Let's have a different version. Let's have Lindsay's version. What, what have you got, Lindsay, verse 28? Okay, so you've got two shepherd. Yep, okay, so it's it's actually a verb, it's the shepherding verb. Anybody got another? Yep, I think you've got the same, haven't you? Oh no, maybe you haven't. Yes, what have you got, Maria? Yeah. Okay, so you've got to care for as a translation of shepherd. Right, well, what I drew from this, I, in this case, it was pointing out that they have been made overseers by the Holy Spirit. It's one of a number of things that we can draw from this verse, but do you notice this? They were appointed by God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you episcopi, overseers. So let, let me wind back a minute. This is the key verse that links elders, overseers, and shepherding. This is the key, or one of the key verses that does this. They are elders. Paul says they're overseers, and he tells them what to do is to shepherd. So that's the basis, uh, the sort of basis on which I'm saying they're interchangeable. And my comment about this, having said they're appointed by God via a human call, is to say that these people that God has put there are not infallible, but they are edifying. I think that's a reasonable distinction. One doesn't have to be, what's the word? What's the Pope supposed to be? Infallible, papal infallibility. Yeah, we're not replacing a Roman Catholic doctrine of infallibility by a Protestant one. We're not saying that we just have a different form of infallibility. This, the the under shepherds or these Ephesian elders are not infallible, um, but they are edifying, and God has put them there for a purpose. They haven't appointed themselves, no matter what, they, it, it doesn't tell us what voting procedure they went through, and he says, well, it's only valid as long as you used a 51% or a 75% or something like that. Uh, he's not concerned with that, he says, but if you're there in a functioning congregation and you're recognized as elders, please be aware that there is something of a divine appointment about that. There is something of that divine seriousness. The Holy Spirit has made you that. It's quite a serious thought, isn't it? And I put here that uh, there are many different personality types, different sorts of people, but God uses all of them and they have been appointed by the Holy Spirit. And I repeated, or as I put this point, that these people are also sheep. And I also put in that other black ink is from this afternoon uh, plural nearly always the Bible speaks of elders in the plural it envisages that every congregation has a little team perhaps a larger team but a team of leaders elders and although I haven't revisited all the homework on this I think it is actually quite difficult to find a passage in which an elder is thought of in place uh, on his own okay so that's number one what did I have for number two they shepherd they do their shepherding work by the word of God so let's look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 
Now this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was a church leader and his job was to appoint the next generation of church leaders, pass this on to faithful men who can teach the same sort of stuff. And I think it's not unfair to take the things that were expected of Timothy and to say this same set of things is expected of the people he would appoint in his turn. So 2 Timothy 4 uh, verse 2 uh, Paul's, Paul's says in just a few words before I give you this charge this is what you're there to do preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with all patience and careful instruction the time will come, come when men will not put up with sound doctrine but instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths but you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of an evangelist discharge all the duties of your ministry so it seems to me what he's saying there is very much to do with uh, word things uh, preach the word uh, correct from the word rebuke encourage with patience this is great patience or all patience and careful instruction that's what it says that's what it says Timothy's to do and I'm inferring from that that that's what one of the things that elders are to do to instruct and I, I wasn't well I'm noticing that there is a degree of forcefulness in this uh, correct rebuke and encourage correct rebuke and encourage I suppose different personality types are uh, more prone to one or the other some people are always telling you off uh, some people might find it difficult to tell you off because they prefer to be encouraging but he seems to cover the whole spectrum and he says that, that, that uh, that's what's expected uh, let's look at Acts 6, 3 and 4 and I think if I'd been sitting in the congregation 20 years ago I might have said well that's a bit of a dodgy reference um, so it probably needs a little bit of explaining Acts 6, 3 and 4 is the time in the early church where an administrative matter wasn't being dealt with properly. The administration was the distribution of food and they were saying it's been done on a racially biased basis. So the Greek Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews complained about the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That's Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Please notice the word distribution. Uh, this is a word which, uh, it's diaconia, which means the act of being a waiter. Uh, deacon means table waiter so taking food and dishing it out and when this was happening this diaconia it wasn't being done properly that's what they're saying so the apostles say it would not be right for us to neglect the word of God in order to diaconia to wait on tables so choose seven men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and we verse 4 will give our attention to prayer and the diaconia of the word the ministry or the distribution of the word and you might say well nothing about elders there which is true and you might say that was a very limited problem of distributing food within the church don't have that problem nowadays but I think we could draw a degree of a parallel from it in which he's saying there's an importance to what it was the apostles were doing which was prayer 
and the ministry of the word the distribution of the word uh, and they were saying that that's so important that it shouldn't be squeezed out by uh, this very practical and useful ministry of distribution of food and so what they were, what they're saying was let's get some other people some trustworthy people to do the food distribution and there then the distribution the deaconing of the word can be um, can keep on going and that's the basis of the distinction that our sort of church would have between elders and deacons and to preserve that same idea of the ministry of the word needing time and needing to be safeguarded and therefore a, a team of other in this case men and women or in, I, I think in the Bible men and women who can do those practical things like distributing food or like ordering toilet rolls or thing whatever it might be and I think that's the that's the uh, that's the, the, it's that text that gives us that idea of separating those two areas of ministry let's go back into Acts chapter 20 so in Acts chapter 20 for some reason I've picked on this verse to say that Paul he's not saying this is what you elders need to be doing but he's at least saying this is what I did Acts 20 in verse 20 he says you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house uh, the interesting point there being that his word ministry wasn't limited to standing up in public and doing a monologue although it did include that it seems that he was prepared to sit down with people and have a cup of coffee except they wouldn't have had coffee in those days I suppose but let's imagine that he sits down over a cup of tea then and would talk to people and present uh, his teaching uh, in conversation and that seems to be a, a useful thing to bear in mind that uh, therefore by extension the work of elders is not just and limited to monologues but includes sitting with people in their home or um, you know, at the back of the church or whatever and doing that work of correcting, rebuking, encouraging in that sort of way. Okay, I'll just stop there. Does that making sense so far? Yep. Okay, number three, I'd put, they lead mostly by respected example. So there's quite a bit to say on this, but I'm not going to say all of it. Let's look at three verses. Hebrews 13, or three references. Hebrews 13 Hebrews 13 now verse 7 says remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever that's one of the references where leaders are given a very prominent position and a very respected position he says uh, you have leaders they spoke the word of God to you and he's not here ticking them off or rebuking them he's saying these are men who uh, by God's grace are worth remembering uh, worth considering and worth copying consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith that's rather a, um, a big responsibility for these leaders but that's what, uh, that's what 
Paul says there are such people as senior people that God has worked in and hopefully changed and uh, not in an not in a a blind way but in a in an in a considered way it is worth looking at their lives and and, and imitating the, the the best features verse 17 says obey your leaders and submit to their authority they keep up watch over you as men who must give account obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you again it's a very pro elder verse isn't it it doesn't actually say elders it's a different word those who stand before you is verse 17 your leaders and he says that there's a right way of submitting to their authority I don't think he means that every single whim they have must be your command there is such a thing I think they call it heavy shepherding don't they where the the elders tell you what color your bathroom should be and where you should go on holiday and things like that I don't think he's including that I think he's assuming what he said before they spoke the word of God to you and insofar as the things they're saying are the word of God you know take it on board uh, don't be don't make it your mission in life to disagree with the elders at every conceivable opportunity uh, people sometimes do have that as their mission in life and it's not helpful uh, it's not helpful for the elders because it takes away the joy of their work and it's not helpful for the people concerned uh, so you know, my advice if you're in a church where you systematically disagree with the elders is really better to find another church actually but don't uh, that's what he says obey your leaders submit to their authority they're watching over you they're going to have to give an account which is a rather sobering thing for the elders but uh, um, there we are 2 Timothy 2 24 and 25 So this is again to Timothy on his method of leading. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and I think I suppose 24, 25, 26. I started going on but I can't remember where I got to. Adam, could you kindly read us this? 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, 26. Thank you very much. So this is the manner of the Lord's servant. Uh, There are people who when they are granted authority sort of become in the words that were ascribed to the deputy head of the school that I used to teach in, a little tin god. Uh, this was said at a staff meeting and the, the uh, de- uh, deputy head concerned said I don't know which I'm most offended by the tin god or the little part but anyway uh, he, sa- he says here that there's a, to be a degree of humility and gentleness about the leadership of the Lord's servant verse 24 the Lord's, Lord's servant mustn't quarrel there's supposed to be a, a sort of a patience and a graciousness instead he must be kind to everyone apt to teach able to teach not resentful those who oppose him he must gently instruct so there's something there about the manner of the 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 elder it isn't you know I've said it and therefore you jolly well do it it's more subtle than that 1 Peter chapter 5 1 Peter chapter 5 
This again links elder, overseer, and shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one, to who, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. So rather moving verses from Peter about the manner of leading. They lead mostly by respected example. Uh, there's a willingness and not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and the Lord will notice that I've put in Titus chapter 1 from verses uh, 5 to 11 Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 11 one of the interesting features of this text is that it shows that elders as far as Paul's concerned elders are pretty much essential to the functioning of a church if the church doesn't have elders it is pretty much well I don't say dead in the water but it, it's, it, it's in a very very vulnerable and incomplete condition so Titus 1, 5 to 11, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he talks about the character of an elder. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe or are faith, faithful, being brought up in a faithful way, are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, so there's elder and overseer, presbyter, is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So it's quite a comprehensive view of the elders there. Last point. They love and care sacrificially, and this includes challenge and warning. So 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, is about suffering. And again, it's Paul speaking to Timothy, and we apply it by extension to elders in general. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Now, where was the bit that says endure hardship? Not there. Verse 10. Mm, I endure everything well I'm not going to go and chase it but Paul endured suffering and he was keen to say to Timothy uh, that's you know, verse 3 endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ thank you very much he's he's saying don't become an elder as a career opportunity you know it's going to lead you onwards and upwards in promotion and up the finance ladder and you know before long you'll have your own yacht and your personal helicopter and hairstylist and things like that so that's just not the way it is it's not what it's about act 20 I think I've covered this. 19, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, says Paul. And in verse 30, he warns that men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And in verse 26, he says, 
I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So he's pointing out there that there is that aspect of, um, well, a, a call to be faithful, whether people like it or not. Sometimes people don't like it. Particularly moved by the testimony of some of uh, some of the ministers in Anglican churches in the SGP who go to parishes where the gospel has never been preached and when they go and preach to their congregations what we think is perfectly normal that people are sinners that they need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ and trust in his precious blood uh, these men are sort of summoned before the parochial church council and Captain Carruthers or whoever it is says no here look here young man you know, we can't have you teaching all this sort of stuff, it's fanaticism. And uh, it can have life made really hard for them. Uh, and I think that's the sort of thing that Paul's warning that, that people might have to put up with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is the last reference. And this is about Paul's method my heading was they love and care sacrificially this includes challenge and warning in 1 Thessalonians 2 Paul says of himself you know we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed God is our witness we weren't looking for praise from men not from you or for anyone else as apostles of Christ we could have been a burden to you but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember brothers our toil and hardship we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses and so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And in there he says that he was like a mother caring for her children and he was like a father uh, dealing with his children. And there's that aspect of non-professionalism. Uh, John Piper wrote a book with the title Brothers We Are Not Professionals. It's actually the title of one of the chapters in the book, but it's right. Uh, the the work that Paul envisages is not sort of nine to five. Then we've done that. We we'll go off and do something else. It's not like that. It's it's caring for people. That's what he what he's talking about. Caring for people, almost like a parent. Um, so uh, there's Barbara Dow's quote: "The best shepherds lead us to the great shepherd." Stop. Um, Anybody want to ask any questions, raise any points? That's quite quite long, so I won't prolong it if if not. Go for it, Lindsay. Yes. Correct. Uh, well, the Bible does talk about elders. It, there are certain things that I think this rules out. I think it rules out the idea of priests. I know in the Anglican Church, people call themselves priests, and they might well, they might either mean that they are priests, or they might mean it's just what what what, what it says on my contract, and I have. Uh, it might rule some things out. I don't really mind if people call themselves vicars, pastors. I'm sorry? Uh, because a priest is, uh, the main job of a priest is to offer sacrifices. So a priest is somebody who's, if, if, we, if, he, if he were to take, or indeed if he or she were to take that literally and they would say their main focus of work is offering the sacrifice of the communion and 
they stand in a hierarchical position. So you've got the laos, the people of God, God, and the priest is in between. That's the historical understanding of the priest. And the, the Protestant understanding flattens that out and says we're all on the same level. As God, Christ is the priest, the great high priest, and we're all on the same level. And within that, on the same level, there are some who are elders, overseers, presbyters, but they're not priests. So I think it rules out the idea of priesthood. But if, if somebody's called a vicar, can't see the word vicar in the Bible, but if somebody's called a vicar or rector, I think in fact they operate as an elder and they might well have other people on the staff who are called curates or associate workers or something like that and they might well operate in fact as a team of elders. And then uh, in an Anglican church you might have a parochial church council or something like that and you might find that it's the people on the parochial church council who order the toilet rolls or um, order, organize painting schedule or whatever and they're effectively working as, as deacons. So I don't think the, the nomenclature is the, is, is the issue. I think it's, it's how it functions and uh, I, th I think what we have in the Bible is the closer we get to how it operates in the Bible the more helpful it is. Does that answer the question? Uh, what sort of accountability system are you referring to? Yeah, um, okay. So this would be like the model where you have the pastor and perhaps a large church and then you have deacons and there's nobody on the same level as the pastor who who's free to sorry yeah yeah well i don't i don't think the bible holds that out as a model because it always says elders plural i think god gives gifted people who who might well uh, be the prominent person that people see and who might do most of the preaching, I think it would be very unhelpful for that person if there was no one else in the church who could take them on one side and say, look, you're not seeing this right or you haven't got the right idea on that or whatever. I think, I think that makes the very church very vulnerable. And I think you would find in most cases where even where there is a, you know, a big name or, or whatever, that there will actually be people around who, who are functioning as elders. Uh, not, not always, but I, uh, I think it's the idea whether people use exactly the same words as the Bible does. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a dynamic, isn't there, of the gifts. Everybody in the church has a gift, so that everybody's doing something. And within that, there are particular gifts of, uh, shall we say, teaching, leading, overseeing. And that dynamic can be sort of a bit stretchy. So, yeah, I don't know a lot about brethren churches, but from what Ray's saying, 
there may well be in perhaps in larger fellowships a sense that brother so and so and brother so and so are the people that you turn to and and would 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 pray together and make particular decisions um yep <laughs>